Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Denard Robinson, Timonga Bianca Batuka, from Yost to Arbaugh, passed down from generation to generation, Michigan football has stood the test of time. What's that feeling you get when you catch your first glimpse of the big house? When you hear, and take the field. When you see the team emerge from the tunnel, sprint across the field, and touch that famed M-Go Blue banner. Saturdays in the fall, tailgates with friends and family, favorite players, favorite teams, and unforgettable moments. A lifetime of memories. College football in 2020 may be unique, but it has arrived at the corner of Stadium and Main, which is where you can find Michael Spath and Justin Rowe sharing their analysis, their stories, and their emotions about this year's Wolverine. This is the Stadium and Main podcast. Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers. Welcome back to the Stadium of Maine podcast. I am Justin Rowe, and I am joined today by my co-host, Michael Spath, as well as special guest, former Michigan defensive end, Will Heidinger. Guys, we, it's, a, it's a little bit of a sigh of relief, as well as some excitement for uh, signs of improvement Michigan goes into triple overtime and beats Rutgers yesterday late into the night. I think it was midnight by the time that game was over and it started at 7.30. How are you guys feeling about uh, everything, uh, you know, a few hours after after that crazy win? Mike, I'll let you go ahead on that one. I, uh, <laughs> I'm happy it's a win, and it was nice to see signs of life. And – you know, maybe the big picture doesn't change as much, but hey, I'll take a win any day over a loss. And frankly, I'll take seeing guys play hard and having some juice to mm -hmm. them. So that was awesome. Yeah, for me, honestly, I look at it as I, I appreciate some of the small victories within the overall victory. And that is, you know, the rise of Cade McNamara, uh, the, the decision finally to go with a number one running back and that number one running back, Hassan Haskins, uh, paying off for Michigan in a big way um, in that game. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a small victory to Daxon Hill, who comes over the top and has a, you know, the, the game clinching interception on a day that was otherwise a pretty hard uh, performance, uh, you know, a tough day for, for Daxon Hill. So, you know, I look at some of the, you know, Cornelius Johnson overcoming his fumble early on to have a really nice game. I look at some of the the positives in terms of player development and player emergence and um, more so than the overall win. I mean, the fact that they took, you know, three overtimes, they're losing 17, nothing at one point um, in the first half. I mean, those were all very discouraging things, uh, but now you look at it and, you know, they can win this game against Penn state. They could, if they play Maryland, they could win another one. I mean, they could at least, I don't want to say salvage the season, but they could at least like have some positive momentum, something positive coming out of this year depending on what they do with the next couple of weeks. So um, I, I'm trying to look at the, the positive side of it more than the, the negative side, although there's certainly a lot of criticisms we'll get to uh, in today's podcast. 
Yeah, so let's get into it a little bit here. Um, uh, obviously, it was a it was a decent win for for Michigan, even though um, Rutgers is still Rutgers. It's definitely a a better Rutgers team than we've ever seen before. Uh, Greg Schiano really has this team uh, rolling. I I mean, obviously they're they're one in four, so you can't really say rolling, but um, they have they are immensely improved. Uh, compared to the past few years, especially at the quarterback position on the offensive side of the ball. Um, why don't we start with, uh, with Cade McNamara right now? I, I, I think that we should, uh, you know, uh, Joe Milton looked like kind of the same Joe Milton that he did against Wisconsin. And so it was an, uh, a quick trigger for, uh, for Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis to make the switch. And then Cade comes in. I mean, that stat line was unbelievable. He accounted for five touchdowns. He had a completion percentage of 75%. Um, he gave that team the spark that they needed. So, uh, Will, I know you're the, you're the defensive guy, but still watching that quarterback play, um, what, did that, what did that make you feel about this team and this offense for the rest of the year and even just in this game? You know, Justin, it was great to see, and definitely I'm a defensive guy, but one thing that especially D-linemen spend a ton of time on is just figuring out how to make the quarterback uncomfortable. And that's one of the first things I just look for and see sort of naturally as I'm watching football is if the quarterback is comfortable, feels like he's on rhythm, is making quick decisions, or is sort of nervous back there and has fast feet. And Cade, for his part, looked outstanding and uh and continue to touch on that but I, there was one play from joe and i don't want to be too hard on joe i think he has a really bright future but just sort of speaks to where he is right now which was that that fourth down where it did actually look like he got it but mm -hmm. they they marked us short and we turned the ball over on downs and to me it looked like sort of like some other plays this year of like he just didn't quite get the urgency you needed to get that first down, like go up and over or put your shoulder down a hundred percent, but you can't sort of put your shoulder down sideways and say, this will probably work. And, you know, so they, they made the change they needed to make. Um, that first half was incredibly tough to watch. And then we got a spark at the end and, and Cade for his part. I mean, I want to see more, you know, we don't want to anoint him after the first week of Joe, you know, other coaches got, film of Joe and then they got to do what I just said and look at all right like what are the plays where he looks least comfortable how do we replicate that you know on defense and so it'll be interesting to see what adjustments people make against Cade but but truly he was sharp um, he was poised he was confident and then you could see that start to sort of filter to other players that confidence would sort of spill over transfer to some of the other guys um, and that was encouraging to me yeah well you know it's a couple of things to digest there. And so what you're talking about with Joe Milton, and I think what has been a um, very evident in these last two games, especially, maybe if you want to go back a third game to Indiana, is there's a tentativeness to his game now. Um, you mentioned the fourth down play uh, and the way that he was running, he was kind of like, you know, trying to find the perfect hole and figure it out. And then, you know, he's 6'5 and 250 pounds. Like, just turn yourself into a bowling ball and go get the first like, Go down. get that shit. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. And like, then there's, there's a lot of his, you know, he throws a nice ball to Giles Jackson. Um, but we didn't see enough of that. We saw a lot of him floating. We saw a lot of him overthrowing guys. We saw him under, you know, under throwing or, or, or 
he just he's not a confident quarterback right now. And, you know, that's the one thing, and, and I agree with you, let's not anoint Cade McNamara as like the second coming. Let's not say that when he gets to the game in a couple of weeks, he's going to go toe-to-toe with Justin Fields and be a better quarterback um, out there. But what he has right now and what I really want to see him play with the next couple of weeks too is that level of confidence and swagger because we thought we saw it in Joe Milton in week one, and then it just kind of – I mean, a lot of theories out there. How did the coaches handle him? Did they put him in poor positions? Um, they, they fail to utilize his skill set. They stopped running him. But whatever happened, like he, you just saw his confidence week by week deteriorate to the point where the last two weeks, I mean, you're, you're not seeing a quarterback with any aggressiveness, with any swagger. And that's what Cade McNamara appears to have, uh, you know, just immensely is that swagger, that confidence. I know I was reading some stuff, you know, apparently like he's on the sideline, like dropping F-bombs and like swearing at guys in a very rah-rah type of way. Um, to get him going, and, and and if that can keep going, I mean, Will, you you know this better than anybody. Like when you have a quarterback that you, that the team believes in, that is a natural leader that commands the huddle. That's when you'll get the best out of all those guys around him. And in the second half, we finally saw that we saw the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, and even the offensive line play arguably their best half of football all year. Yeah, and I think that you know, maybe this is John O'Corn versus Purdue in 2017, you know, that we don't know what this, what the future will bring. Um, you know, John O'Corn came in in that game and provided a huge spark, but then after, once he got into a rhythm later in the year, he really didn't pan out. I think that just from a talent perspective, Cade McNamara is a lot better than John O'Corn. Let's get that <laughs> off the table right away. Um, but I think that I, I think that they, you know, we do have to temper those expectations, like you said, Mike. Um, but one thing I want to ask you guys is, what the hell happened in this quarterback room this off season? Thank you. I Thank mean, you. If you didn't ask, I was going to ask. It, it's it's mind blowing to me how how obviously with Dylan McCaffrey you know, transferring, what happened there? It seemed like all off season, he was the guy, you know, he was the number one, the front runner going into it. And then it all of a sudden Joe Milton takes the lead and becomes the starter causing him to transfer. Well, Joe Milton doesn't look like he's this unbelievable guy, obviously that just overtook that. So I don't know what happened. And then how does Cade McNamara, not even get a look. And I know that it was – I'm assuming that they were focused so much on Milton versus McCaffrey that they – that McNamara sure. was an afterthought, right? And so nobody was really giving him a real look. But I, I just want to know what happened in the spring, the summer, the fall. What was going on in, in Schembechler and in this quarterback room? Yeah, I was, I was wondering the exact same thing because, you know, Mike made the point. You want to play for a quarterback who, you know, when, when the team loves the quarterback and he's a guy that will go out there and, and fight for you and he's not a prima donna and he wants to just be one of the guys, you know, that goes a long way. And I don't know if, if that weighed into the decision or they thought that that's where they were with Joe, but I'm very curious uh, for a number of reasons. I had a, a coach, a Michigan coach, tell me last year, that in practice, when McCaffrey had broken into the open field and decided to run, that nobody on the team had caught him yet when he was in the open field. Mm -hmm. Now, that might be an indictment of our speed on defense, but at the same time, Dylan McCaffrey's pretty damn fast, and we've seen that. We had seen that when he, when he broke away. 
Um, the other thing that really I, I think is never emphasized enough and how could it be unless you're, you're there at practice. Um, but I think so much of this, and I used to say this with Shea Patterson is you can get a, a sort of misleading read at practice because of the way football is practiced now. Like there are no quote unquote live bullets. You don't get to come close to the quarterback, let alone touch him. And so a guy can look really damn good in practice when, you know, he's used to not getting hit, when there's not guys diving at his feet, when, you know, there's not people reaching, clawing at his arm as he's throwing it. And I can understand how those things might make you, you know, clam up or not play with the same confidence. Um, but if that's the case, because that's one of the things that made sense to me with Shea was, you know, a lot of the a lot of the times he would turn it over in the game was clearly shit that worked at practice because he was able to to move around and and juke and try to run out of the pocket and, and defenders couldn't tackle him or wouldn't chase him all the way down. And in games, clearly, you know, that ball came out of his hands over and over and over. And so I wonder about the way they look in practice. And I wonder, yeah, exactly what Justin said, you know, where was – where was that battle? Where, what was the conversation there? Cause Cade certainly looked good and you know, now we're, we're sort of playing uh, merry-go-round. So I'm not quite sure how it was handled, but I will say at this point, um, you know, Cade, Cade is obviously the best player the best quarterback we have playing right now. He's playing the best. And so you ride with it. And like Mike said, see what kind of improvements we can make game to game and week to week and not, you know, look too far ahead and make any big comparisons yet. So my take on this, and, and honestly, I think this is one of those things, Will, you know this from your playing days, that um, often it's like three or four years after you've graduated from school where guys finally kind of feel like they're no longer under the shadow of Michigan football. And so they just become a lot more transparent and honest and tell you what like really went down uh, during their years. Um, on sure. the team, so I don't, I don't know that we'll ever, we'll really understand the McCaffrey Milton thing for at least a couple of years. Maybe if McCaffrey transfers, and of course, and he, you know, if he has success somewhere else, and he he does his his first feature interview, and he talks about like, well, this, ha I mean, he might go out there, but he's also a, a program from, you know, his dad is a former NFL wideout, his brother is Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he, they might right. keep that stuff internally because that's like the kind of thing that you do in football. So I don't know who. We'll, ever truly know I think when you look at McNamara and Milton and what you're talking about Will is the whole idea of like a state is the, this common term that Michigan has used for a decade or for a decade for for many decades the state street player versus the main street player the guy who yep. can get it done in practice because of whatever the circumstances are he's going against the second team defense or the scout team defense they're not hitting him you know there's not really live game situations because of all these things going on versus the guy who goes out there on Saturday, the lights go on, especially these last two weeks when they've actually played in the lights, and boom, he can't perform. He, it, just, it just doesn't go on for him. Yep. I think another thing, too, with Milton, when you look at it, I mean, we talked about it coming to the year, and people were making the comparisons to Cam Newton and, and, and Vince Young and other stuff. Like, those comparisons were crazy, but physically, physically, he is something of a freak that Michigan has maybe never had at the position. The, guy, the only guy with the arm strength of him is probably Ryan Mallett and Drew Henson. The only guy with the athleticism of him is Devin Gardner. He's not, you know, as fast as Denard Robinson, obviously, or as athletic as Denard Robinson, but he was like this rare combination of physical skills that Michigan had not had the position 
again, maybe ever. And so I think people got really excited about that. And I think the coaches, you can get enamored with that. You can get caught up in like, look, his ceiling is so high that if we play this right and develop this over time, we go into that Ohio State game at the end of the year and our quarterback can can out, you know, outduel Justin Fields. Sure. The problem is, is that the development hasn't been there and he's regressed week to week. And so, you know, m- maybe they got excited about that and they said, you know, Cade McNamara, sure he can manage the game, but can he, can he beat Ohio State for us? And sometimes right. you can make a decision like that about like, I'm looking at week nine and not necessarily at week one, two, and three, and four. And so I wonder, Will, what you think about that, if that's possibly what happened here. I think that's a, that's a very, you know, possible scenario, especially with the pressure that the coaches are feeling and, and are under, or that you would have to assume they'd be feeling that they might talk themselves into that. A lot of times they do look at, you know, the rivals, the teams they're playing and say, you know, okay, well, we have to be able to do this, this, and this to beat them. And, you know, maybe Joe's the only guy with high enough ceiling to, to be at that point by the time we play them. It could be something they would talk themselves into. But I do have to say, you know, just purely watching the games, if you knew nothing about any of the, the quarterbacks and you just watched them, um, so far to me, Milton looks like the third most athletic of the guys we just talked about from this year. Like, Cade looks more sudden and more explosive. And that could just be due to decisiveness and, and comfort. But he looks, he looks certainly to me to be a more explosive athlete so far, at least a more effective athlete with the ball in his hands. And then, you know, McCaffrey, I, I don't think it's close, but I'd like to see, I guess. I mean, but I think, you know, we clearly made, made that decision, um, you know, made that evaluation. And, Mike, you couldn't be more right about the – <laughs> the state street player versus the main street player. And this isn't the state and main podcast. Cause I'm pretty sure those streets don't intersect, but, uh, <laughs> or at least not with an actual intersection over a bridge, but stadium in Maine. And I think a guy who we'd been hearing a ton about who was becoming one of those state street players just, just yesterday to me started a little bit transferring it over. Now, obviously we are on the road, but, um, I thought Eric all, I saw a little bit of what they were talking mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's that same thing of, you know, in practice when you can go up and make an amazing catch and not worry about getting blasted in the ribs, like you're going to keep doing it. And it seemed like yesterday we just saw little bits of flashes of that. And it, it made me think of Eric when, when Mike made the, uh, the state street versus main street comment, but I will just end with this saying that the best coaches are able to help their players literally simulate in practice and even in drills, even individual drills, like the actual movements that they will be making on Saturday, even though it's a four second or a seven second play, like, so for the D lineman, you know, literally practicing the three or four steps, your first step could be and where your hands would go. And so it's more likely to translate. I just think that that's harder on offense these days because offensive coaches want to have their plays be successful. They want to see how they work. And, um, in defense and they're ultra paranoid about injuries. And so you can't really be physical the way that defenses will in games. And to Justin's point, you know, Greg Shiano can coach and he has a solid football team over there despite their record. Yeah. And and one thing, I mean, (laughs) obviously we've seen this defensive secondary, so maybe Joe Milton looked really good against the secondary in Shembeckler Hall. So that's a possibility as well. 
Um, but other other positives on the offensive side, oh, my God, we have a running back. We have a number one running back, guys. Hey. Unbelievable. A guy got more than 20 carries. More than – shit, we haven't had anybody get more than eight carries, I believe, uh, in a game before. So, um, I think that's pretty – that's, you know, good news. Hassan Haskins really broke out. Um, the run game really, really worked well in the second half. Uh, when they needed it to most. Um, and so one thing I did want to ask, ask you guys about um, between the run game with Hassan Haskins and play calling in general from Josh Gaddis, it seemed to change with Cade McNamara in. Like they opened it up. They started running the RPO um, read option with Cade, which we really didn't see with Joe Milton, which is kind of crazy to me because of Joe Milton's size and athletic ability. Um, but what do you think about – uh, the run game and how they established that and then play calling from Josh Gaddis towards the end of the game to get them uh, rolling and actually uh, get this offense moving. Well, I'll let, Will, I'll let you tackle that, but I do, you know, the one frustration I have in, is that it's one thing to take time trying to figure out who your quarterback is because they're both first time starters, both newbies. What I, what I think was annoying for Michigan fans taking five games to make the commitment to Hassan Haskins is that he showed it a year ago that he could right. be a number one. And yet they still dicked around with this, uh, pardon my language, and played all four guys when you see what he's capable of. Um, and, you know, he makes, he, he, he gets, he reminds me of Mike Hart in just one way in that he tends to get one or two extra yards by yes. falling forward in a way that, you know, I mean, we saw it in the game yesterday. I think it got, he got a fourth or he got a first down on like a third and one just because he kind of like twisted and turned his body and like dove backwards knowing, hey, I got to get one yard. It doesn't, I don't need to get five yards. I don't need to stay on my feet. I just got to dive and get one yard. And he dove over the top for the, for the touchdown because he knew like, I just need one yard. I don't need 10 yards at this moment. Thank um, you. And so, yeah. So, Will, yeah, your, your thoughts on the running game, how it opened up with uh, Cade McNamara and, and obviously your, your like for your, your, your excitement about Hassan Haskins here going forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, those are strong words comparing them to number 20. But, you know, I, I'm not uh, – I don't think it's too far off, at least in the, in the sense that you said of it's been a while since – or we take – you know, you forget how nice it is to have a running back who you don't have to worry about missing out on yards that are there. Or maybe that aren't there for everybody, but – that are possible and that they understand they have that spatial awareness, that field awareness of, you know, okay, I need one more yard for this first down. Normally I'm not going to spin back with the ball in my, in my left hand or spin in that direction and have it potentially be punched out. But in this situation, if it's the difference between getting a first down and our offense being off the field, like it just looks like Haskins has that it, that understanding. He plays with it. He keeps his legs churning. Um, and he also keeps his hips square to the line of scrimmage, so parallel to the line of scrimmage. You'll notice, like, as he'll set up his outside runs, he'll very quickly have his hips back parallel and therefore be able to stick his foot in the ground, go back, you know, to the other way if he wants. Um, I was really impressed with Haskins. And then I thought that the O-line started to gain some confidence. Now, there's plenty of things we got to work on, of course, and uh, – we could, we could spend a long time talking about that. But some things I saw from them that I think are sort of the O-line equivalent of, of, this, of the little things that get you over the hump that we talked about with Haskins and 
and some of these other positions is they were finishing guys. They were making first contact. A guy would then bounce off and, you know, rewatching some of the second half, our O-linemen are then re-engaging, flattening a guy and landing on him and laying on him, which allowed Haskins to actually have cutbacks sometimes, which took that defender entirely out of the play. Mm-hmm. And I tell O-linemen all the time um, when I'm coaching them and even back when I was playing, the hardest thing for me or the, hardest, the thing that you guys do that makes it the most difficult is that last shove, is that like mm-hmm. we've, we've shed you, we think we're disengaged, we're in the hole ready to make the play, and guess what? There's no clipping there. Like you can still be physical, and that last shove when you're not ready for it and you're ready to make a tackle, that's a big deal. And I thought our O-linemen were just – there was a little bit more of that. There was a little bit of that nastiness as they started to flatten people. And then lastly, to Justin's question or point about the play calling and the RPOs, I would be curious because I'm not positive about this. Uh, maybe it'd be a Devin question. Um, it'd be interesting to, to hear his opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not positive we didn't call the RPOs uh, with Milton. I just – they looked like he wasn't as decisive or wasn't as comfortable reading it, and so maybe we got away from it. But it was very nice to see um, it run effectively because, God, yards have been hard to come by, and to see us be able to just take advantage of some easy schematic yards that other Mm -hmm. teams do to us all the time was – it was encouraging. It really was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, Will, too. One of the things that Cade McNamara uh, in both the Wisconsin game and this this Rutgers game, uh, when he first comes in, um, you know, I I think it was – I think it was his first pass against um, Wisconsin, maybe his second pass against – uh, Rutgers last night is a deep ball. It's a deep ball and it's a completed deep ball. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, linebackers and safeties, they don't, they, they, they can't, uh, you know, take that first step forward um, at the snap. They've got to respect the, the deep ball. And so, you know, people ask about like, well, how did the running game get going? Like, do they just want to play for Cade? Well, it's all part of that chess game, right? And so suddenly they have to respect the throw. They have to respect the deep threat. And now, um, it opens up more opportunities. And I agree with you, Will. Like, the offensive line started finishing guys a little bit better. I mean, this was, you know, between Zach Carpenter, um, Zach Zinner, and uh, Carson Barnhart. I mean, you've got three guys starting right now that are in their first or second year. Yep. That, you know, that, that is a positive that bodes well for the future of this, of this team, uh, whether, you know, it's the rest of this year or going to next year. I mean, they're starting to show a couple of signs. They showed it in this game, and then they've got to build on it. I mean, I think the one thing to take away from this is, I don't want to say it's the Rutgers factor, like, oh, come on, guys, like it's Rutgers, but, but it is one game. Like, let's see what they do going forward, but you'd much rather, there's so much positive and all about that confidence that this offense can build on now, and I'm more excited to see what they can build on now than at any point since, you know, obviously the Minnesota game. And I, I think that they have a quarterback that they can rally around and a running back that they can rally around. And they have wide receivers like Ronnie Bell and Cornelius Johnson that are going to push and fight for every single thing that they get. That's probably the biggest takeaway from at least the offensive side of the ball, Will, and we'll get to defense here in a second. But they showed fight. And that has been something that we have been clamoring for all season long. They absolutely did. They showed fight. They looked like they wanted to be there. You know, I want to be clear that 
I am by no means saying guys didn't want to play for Joe and it's not like a light switch goes on. It's that confidence that builds, right? It's that confidence of, you know, Hey, I touched the ball. Uh, you got a first down, you know, contributed the offense starts getting to some flow. And so that's the positive, you know, that I'd like to see us build on as well as it just seemed like we actually utilized guys skill sets better. Um, in terms of getting the touches where they need to be. For instance, you know, Chris Evans uh, was catching the ball more. He, in fact, he really almost looked like a wide receiver on the fourth mm-hmm. down conversion, a big fourth and three mm-hmm. in the second half. Um, he caught a little slant and, and took it for, I don't know, 10 or 15 yards. But it took me a second to realize that was Chris um, because he just looked like a wide receiver. And then it doesn't take away running back touches from Haskins right. and, and even from Zach, who still ran effectively. So – that was to me that was nice to see and uh you know I have trouble giving credit to anybody from Ohio and and I hate their former coach but also he breaks things down pretty well I sent Mike a video last week it's tough to send but he had another one this week about getting getting guys touches and the story of you know him coaching at Notre Dame big game in 2000 this is Urban and uh he was wideouts coach and they lost a huge game his star wideout was crying after the game and and he said you know it's wrong and he said not in a selfish way but the the player let him know, he's, you know, we lost. I didn't contribute. I didn't even touch the ball today. And he said right then, Urban said he made a promise to himself, you got to get your best players the ball, period. And I thought, you know, from our first couple weeks of what are we doing with four touches apiece for five running backs, yesterday started to look a little bit more like intentional or at least strategic, wise, um, prudent touches and and spreading that around um, between our offensive skill players. And again, I guess that, that happens when you have uh, competent quarterback play. And let me, let right, me guys, read we'll, off the, yeah. uh, the touches that, cause I think sure. what this, what the box score looks like is exactly what we've been looking for. Hassan Haskins, 22 carries for 110 yards. Absolutely. That's what we're looking for. Zach Charbonnet, the second back with six carries, I would even say, you know, maybe get him the ball a little bit, maybe two, three more carries there, but that's great. Blake Corum, four carries for nine yards, you know, not too effective. But then, like you said, Chris Evans, one carry for four yards, but then four catches for 30 yards. I think that's exactly mm-hmm. how you have to use Chris Evans in this offense. And then Cade, Cade McNamara had four carries as well, obviously was one rushing touchdown. That box score is what we've been looking for all year, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would say so. I, I, you know, you wanted to commit to a, a running back. I mean, you had a, 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 a you know, plethora of riches, but if you don't use those riches effectively, then all you've got is a lot of, is a lot of bodies. And so they, they found the running back. Um, yeah, what, you know, the, the numbers that McNamara, 35 pass attempts or 36 pass attempts. I mean, hell, if you played the, more of the first half, he probably would have had about 40. Uh, that's pretty much in line with what most college football teams and good college football offenses are doing nowadays, you know, throwing for 260 and four touchdowns. I mean, it's crazy to say this because I had a friend text me last night and goes, like, you know, when's the last time we had a, a quarterback throw for four touchdown passes in a game? Now it happened to be Shea Patterson last year. But that's a pretty much like a norm in college football today. That's like what the best offenses are doing on a regular basis. So these are the type of numbers that you should see in offense like Michigan with the skill that they have with the talent they have uh, consistently put up. And again, there's a lot from this game to build on. And now you've got Penn State coming in, a winless Penn State team that you have another opportunity 
to 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 have some success, win that game. You're three and three. You know, look, I mean, for me, this game didn't change the the end result. I still think that Michigan should move on from Jim Harbaugh, but I'm trying to look for individual efforts, development, small victories, and there were enough of them yesterday against Rutgers to 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 look forward to the next couple of weeks when they have Penn State and Maryland and then someday down the road they play the game and we can cross that bridge or just not. Like just just so let's just blow that bridge up, stand on the other side, <laughs> walk the other direction and just hope that nobody notices. Hell uh, no. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. We're gonna build on this shit and we're gonna keep getting better. Love and, it. Love and whatever it. happens, we're gonna come out that I mean, Mike, you know better than any of us, there's been there's been seasons when we were even more of an underdog than this, where not only did we play it close, but, you know, came out on top. And uh, I'm not saying it's likely, but I'll never shy away from that game. And more like, more, more importantly, these players just yesterday experiencing some positive outcome, experiencing some, you know, result to their hard work and sticking with it. And, and you could see them gaining confidence as the game went on. That's just what we've been craving, as you said. And so if we can, do that for a couple more weeks, right? Like take the name of the opponent off. I don't even care who it was. Yesterday, the team we played was juiced up. They were themselves confident. They thought they were going to win. Um, they were playing hard. And we found it in us to turn around an entirely listless, pathetic effort and to come back and beat a team that was playing with confidence and playing hard. And that's something that we have not shown this year at all. And if we can build on that, then you know what? I'd love to go into that last game or, you know, the game and, and see where we stand because they, for the first time, looked, you know, a little bit fallible yesterday. And while there's still a large mm -hmm. gap, you know, anything can happen. So can't, can't yeah, avoid they, that one. Don't want to. And I know deep down you don't either, but it could be. It could I don't. Be ugly too. <laughs> I don't. But, but I'll, I'll be prepared to uh, – uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how we'll prepare for that one. Let's see what happens these next two games maybe just one game since Maryland's having so many issues back-to-back -back weeks where they've had to cancel, uh, yeah. postpone their games because of COVID issues. So Michigan, Maryland in a couple of weeks may not happen. We'll have to see, but, but next week against Penn state um, should be an interesting one. James Franklin. I don't follow, I don't follow the, the blogs and the Twitter, you know, social media about Penn state, but I got to imagine they're pretty upset right now with uh, where their program is, even with all the injuries that they have had. So Guys, let's uh, shift to the defensive side of the ball. But first, um, you know, Thanksgiving, a couple of days away. I hope you guys, uh, you know, we're all trying to we're all trying to figure this out. What we're going to do? Can we get together with family? Do I have to stay in? Uh, you know, our friends at Weber's Hotel and Restaurant have had this incredible tradition for you know seventy five years plus, uh, providing Thanksgiving for their for their loyal customers. And so many people go in there and have had their Thanksgiving dinners at Weber's and this year they can't do that there's a shutdown order um, in the state of Michigan you can't have dine-in service uh, but uh, our friends at Weber's are putting together a lot of Thanksgiving turkey dinners uh, which you can order by going to webersannarbor.com and so um, you know especially if you're going to find yourself without your entire extended family this year um, and you know you want to have that that Thanksgiving experience maybe you've never done a turkey before uh, and you're a little nervous you're a little put off you're uh, not sure you can get it done. Um, you know, give our give our friends Weber uh, Weber's Hotel a, a look and 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 order your turkey from them. It helps us uh, support a a small business that has been around for like I said, 75 plus years, and they're trying to survive right now uh, during this uh, economy and global pandemic. So 
uh, webersannarbor.com for more information. All right. So, yeah, let's get over to the defensive side of the ball, which um, we talked about a lot of the positives <laughs> from the Oh, offense. sorry. I was making a noise at, at John right there. I forgot to hit mute. Sorry oh, it again, just Justin. happened to it happened to be fitting. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's look at the defensive side of, of the ball here. You know, we had a lot of positive th things to say about the offense and for them to build on. Um, and you know what? I know that Michigan got the win last night, but it was not because of this defense. And so I, I don't know about you guys, but I really don't have much confidence at all in this defense. Um, I mean, this, this defense gave up 35 points to Rutgers in – in regular in regulation and then obviously more in overtime um but the what, what was your take on on this defense I'll, I'll go with you will i mean we can go to a technical uh standpoint we can go you know there, there's so much to talk about um i'll, I'll give you the floor here to, to air out any anything you w would like to say about it oh man all right <laughs> <laughs> where do we start i'll start you know there were there were some positives. Um, <laughs> we were able to sack the quarterback yeah. at least once. Um, you know, we did, you know, at the end of the game, we came up with a big play when we needed it. And, and here and there, we were able to make some, make some tackles that I thought we didn't make this year for the most part, but then the, the same problems plagued us. Um, and, and on big, pl on important plays too, so the leaky yards kill me. Leaky yards, we talk about when, you know, a guy should be down, mm -hmm. a reasonable tackle would be made. And, and so how many more yards does he get after that contact? Um, their two-point conversion to tie the game is a perfect example. Um, now, that was, you know, that was a tough play to make. If you watch the replay, there's a lot of Rutgers linemen in there and really just one of our guys on the tackle. But still, that was probably a 230-plus pound guy on our side tackling a Somewhere around that, I mean, you got to get him down. You got to yeah. get him down for the ball game. Um, also, just not being physical. So on their game, on, on the game tying touchdown right before that two point conversion, they had all their receivers ran free. Nobody was collisioned. You know, we talk about this week to week. I think it's one of the most important things as a defender is to collision the effing routes. You're allowed to hit the guys before the ball is in the air. And in college, you can hit them even longer than five yards past the line of scrimmage and so that is one of the one of the lone advantages you have left on defense and we choose to not take advantage of it play after play and week after week and the result is on that fourth down when they had you know we had pressure on the quarterback um he had to scramble he wasn't able to throw in rhythm and yet all of his receivers was basically they were like they were playing seven on seven they were untouched and they were running free and so eventually he found one so with the defense, to me, it's still, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the, in the former player chat last night, which was uh, quite active. <laughs> but, you know, it, it looks like the scheme, you know, college football has changed. Even the offense has changed in the last four to five years in the passing game. And I think partly it's adapted to this style of defense because Don Brown's mm -hmm. style was catching on in some places and was, and was having some success. And, so, you know, that's what good coaches do. They look at what people are doing and how do we beat it. And a lot of the ways you beat this defense is taking advantage of being over-aggressive. 
And at the end of the day, that's what we look like to me is a bunch of, it's like we have a really good team at recess on the playground. Like we got all the good players, but we all run to the ball at the same time and we're not actually sound and there's gaps and there's openings. And so I, um, I think we need to adapt on defense. And I think it, co it comes from scheme. It also just comes from attention to detail on individual technique on each play, which is something that our former defensive coordinator now in Columbus would, you know, harp on to, to no end because ultimately it really is what wins your individual battle on a play. And so there's enough stuff wrong with the defense right now. I don't really know where to start. Um, although I guess we held them to, you know, in the second half, my, my mom, who also is a very astute football observer, um, had said how bad, you know, the pass defense was. And it was the glaring, glaring weak spot of the second half or juxtaposed versus our offensive success. And I said she was right. But at that point, I think they had scored maybe a touchdown in the second half. And that was it. So we had at least done something and not, you know, drive after drive, giving up points. But you guys, I'd like to get your thoughts. I mean, there's so many things with the defense that need to be fixed. And yet, you know, we can take away small positives and hope they build on them. Mm -hmm. I guess I just see less – I have less reason for, for confidence in that, in that building after yesterday than I do in the offense having some, some building on what they did yesterday. What do you guys think? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Will, looking at that game that um, concerns me about the defense going forward uh, is the fact that they're so injured now. Um, you know, the two defensive ends, Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay, are out. Of the, are out. Uh, Hutchinson is done for the year. Pay, not sure. You know, there's some hope that he might be able to come back at some point this season, but we're not, you know, don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, Cameron Grone got hurt in this game, and so Adam Shibley came in. Um, Hunter Reynolds came in for, for, for Brad Hawkins. Now, here's the good news. I, I thought these two guys who are both, uh, like yourself, Will, a former walk-on, um, I thought both these guys probably outperformed and outplayed the the scholarship player that For they sure. were replacing. Shocker. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Hunter Reynolds Hunter Reynolds made, you know, one of the early plays of the game coming over the top on a ball that was going to be a touchdown completed. I think it would have made it maybe 24 to 7 at that point. Um, or maybe that was when they kicked the field goal and it would have made it uh, 21 to nothing. Um, but that was a huge play really early on in the contest. Um, you know, Shibley had a, a couple of nice stops and the to me, Will, the play of the game for the defense was not the interception at the end because I think that the other – the DB, the uh, – I think it was Vincent Gray was going to be in a position to knock it down. But it was, that, it was either the second or third down play. They motioned their running back out of the backfield to the flat, and Michigan's middle linebacker, I think it was Shibley, went right along with them. Yep. And as soon as they threw him the ball, he was right in position. I think they got yeah, him down. Yeah, we ate that shit right off. Yeah, that was the that was the play of the game because all of a sudden now you put them in like a – I think it was a second and long or a third and long, and and now they're like oh crap now we're playing behind the sticks we've got we're down a we're down a touchdown uh, we got a score like you know they were in trouble at that point so there were some moments for this defense to build on I don't think that you know I don't think they're very talented overall I think they still they have major issues getting to the quarterback although they did have two sacks yesterday. Uh, I mean, Will, what we talked about earlier in the season that, you know, good defenses give up 28 to, to 35 points now against really good offenses. The problem was is that that wasn't a really good offense, and yet this defense still looked flat and, 
you know, unathletic and, and, and not capable of, uh, of going toe-to-toe. I mean, when they get to Ohio State in a couple of weeks, Lord have mercy um, against this, this Michigan defense. But, yeah, there were, there's a lot of issues. I, I don't – again, I, I just don't think Don Brown is the, is the future of this program, is the answer for Michigan football. I agree with what you said, Will, that, um, you know, teams are smart enough to, to play against him. Um, and he just seems to, you know, he, he is running more zone now. He's running more two deep safeties. But, um, you know, th- this is just a group that doesn't make a lot of plays. Um, and, you know, until the interception at the end, the final play of the game, they hadn't had a turnover forced uh, since, uh, since what, the fourth quarter against Minnesota. I mean, it's, it's just not a playmaking group. Um, and if you're going to be as aggressive as Don Brown, you have to be a team that gets to the quarterback and forces turnovers. And if you don't, you're going to get picked apart. And that's what we saw uh, for the most part, even against Rutgers last night. Yeah. And uh, to start off, even before, I mean, all of the defense is predicated on being able to stop the run, not having uh, Rutgers or frankly, anybody be able to just line up showcase that they're going to run power football and do it right down your throat. Um, that was as hard to watch in the first half as, as for me as maybe anything because especially when when Michael Dwumfor is on the other mm. side making play after thank play you. after play. Thank you. I was like, oh yeah. I thought to myself, it would be nice to have Dwumfor right now. Yep. Um, and, and Mike, you make a good point about you know some of the backups playing better, and and this is you know this is something that isn't surprising to me. I think we, it's very easy to get caught up in, oh, this guy is this good or he's this many stars. And I, you know, felt that way myself before I played and saw plenty of five stars and four stars flounder and not be good and, and plenty of walk-ons start and even go to the NFL. And you realize that um, there's so much less separation than – especially than what recruiting services make it out to be, but then it's what happens day to day in practice and, you know, how much attention to detail you have for your job. And then every practice is filmed. And so they watch every single rep. And I mean, I know this was the case with me. I know this was the case with Kovacs. I know it was the case with, you know, Kevin Leach and and definitely the Glasgow's was after a while, even though you get fewer opportunities as a walk-on or even as a backup, after a while, if those opportunities, you continue to be successful, you continue to, to make plays, they have no, they want to win. So they're going to put in the best player. Now to watch our first string or even, you know, depleted first string, um, get the ball run down their throats by average players on the other team. To me, that's unacceptable because you don't need great play. I mean, you need good technique, right? Like you see average teams, look at high school football. You see the same, you know, schools with sort of average athletes, powerhouse schools run really solid scheme with really solid technique. Everyone knows what they're doing and they win state championships or they're successful, you know, every year. And we, um, we, we seem to, to struggle with knowing even uh, what our job is on a play or at least how, you know, that relates to the guy next to us doing his job because to watch the backups come in and be more successful um, you have to think to yourself, either the starters aren't trying or they shouldn't be the starters. They're not actually the better players. So, you know, Mike, we don't make enough plays. Um, we don't look like a defense that, you know, mm-hmm. is pr- that we'd be proud of at Michigan. And uh, I hope that we can chip away and change that because there are some bright spots. I agree with you. Um, 
except then at the end when they did, they motioned that running back out. We played it well. And then for the two-point conversion, I was literally sitting there, quarterback draw, quarterback draw, quarterback mm-hmm. draw. They motioned the guy into the backfield. It's definitely quarterback draw. <laughs> they run it. They get in. We don't tackle well. Announcer goes, oh, I definitely wasn't expecting quarterback run. Like, of course you were. Of course you <laughs> right, were quarterback right. run. Anyway, yeah. so. You know, that that seems to issues. be the go-to go-to play on, on two-point conversions or on fourth and one at the goal line, the, the quarterback draw. Yeah. Because you've got so many athletic quarterbacks now, and these guys, for the most part, are bigger. Um, you know, I don't know what, what the Rutgers quarterback's dimensions are, but most of these guys are 6'3", 6'4", and 220 pounds, so they kind of feel like they are a running back in some levels. But, sure. you know, I will say that the, the kid that he dragged into the, into the end zone was Makari Page, uh, who is a true freshman safety who, um, you know, has – has not tackled great this year, um, you know. But again, like, how much does a how much does a true freshman, even five weeks in the season, getting an opportunity to tackle guys um, in practice when they're yeah. so cautious about everything, um, you know? And, and he's the one that got dragged, and then a couple other guys try to jump on top. But as Will you point out earlier, that by that point the Rutgers offensive line was also there and pushing forward. So, Justin, let me ask you this, and and, and both of you guys, this is we kind of spent looking at the offense, talking about some of the positives that they can build on going forward and maybe it's individual players more so than the entire offense. Uh, but when you look at this defense, are there players, are there, I mean, it, it, we seem like a, a little bit discouraged by what, what we expect to happen with this defense going forward. Is there positive uh, something you can point to, or are you kind of just like letting, expecting them to play out this string the next three games, four games, and include the ninth one. And this is what it's going to be. It's going to be, 35 points to Penn State it's going to be uh if they play Maryland you know 38 42 points when they play Ohio State it's going to be God help us 63 points or something like that where you're just expecting that because this defense doesn't really have potential to make significant steps the rest of the year you know I you guys kind of pointed out the only two bright spots that I saw yesterday and that was Hunter Reynolds coming in and making plays and then, you know, Shibley and some of these other guys that came in and actually played with some intensity and played downhill. Because the, the one thing that, that really, really bothers me about this defense is they wait for the ball to come to them. They do not yep. meet the ball in the, at the line of scrimmage. They don't play down t- downhill. I think back on Devin Bush, who always, always – I mean, obviously Devin Bush is an is – a, uh, a top five linebacker probably in Michigan history. But, but he wasn't always that. Like, Devin Bush was a 5'10", 180-pound right. kid, you know, and and worked and got better. And was he was very talented. But you're right, Justin. I mean. Yeah. I, 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 he, he flew to the ball, and we seem to just go half speed. And I, and I wonder, is it because, you know, now they've introduced new schemes because the other ones weren't working, so they're, not, they're unsure of themselves, and so they're not sure exact if, there's, if they're in the right spot. But honestly, for me, you know, when I played and when, um, you know, as, as I've been around the game of football, I would 100% I would rather have you – go 100% in the wrong direction than half, you know, 50% or half ass, whatever you want to say in the right direction. Um, pick a spot and go to it and fly to the ball. Because if you screw up your assignment and you're still going hundred percent, maybe you blow something else up that actually works. I, it, it bothers me so much when I see these guys, especially the linebackers um, and Josh Ross actually, 
had a I, I think he was a bright spot yesterday. He yeah. had probably his best game that he's had um, in when he's he's really struggled this year. Um, but those linebackers in McGrone obviously went out with an injury, but they've been waiting for the ball to come to them. And if we yes. if we just meet the ball in the line of scrimmage and try and plug that hole, I think it makes the, the – it's such a difference, especially with what you said, uh, Will, about the leaky yards. They Everyone's falling forward on us because we don't get a push. And, and I know part of it is because – we don't have an offensive – or, sorry, a defensive line that's super talented and big, but you have to at least play with intensity and not wait for the ball to come to you. You said it really well, Justin. It's pretty obvious watching. Um, and then, on the other hand, like, the other thing that bothers me is when we do, quote-unquote, fly to the ball, it's not with purpose, it seems like. It's like – it's what it's taking that coaching of, I'd rather have you go 100 miles an hour and not really understanding – what they're saying because the times when we do look like we're you know flying to the ball or, or getting to the edge fast on defense we don't do it with like precision or w- with any sort of mm-hmm. like technique that allows us to constrict the gap like the entire idea of leverage as a defense and if you're gonna run up say they throw a bubble right say they throw a bubble and it's the outside corner's job to come up take on that first wide receiver blocker and make sure the ball gets turned back inside to the defense. Well, the difference between a corner, you know, at the line of scrimmage taking on that block versus maybe two or three yards upfield past the line of scrimmage being really aggressive, the difference there can be a running lane and six points versus you stay your, you stand your ground at the line of scrimmage, you lock out your arms as I stand here doing it, um, <laughs> and you allow the rest of your defense to flow to the ball and, and to get there. And so that like Devin Bush was incredible at those types of angles. And for, frankly, we had a defense that was incredible um, in leveraging the ball for a long time. And so now it looks like either Justin said where they don't recognize and we look really slow and we're, we're waiting and we're catching, or when we do try and play fast, it's reckless and it's almost worse than, than playing slow because mm-hmm. we give them, we give our the opposing offense easy yards, easy easy holes, and, and sometimes easy points. So, like you said, plenty excuse me, plenty to clean up on defense. Um, but at least we had guys, you know, looking like they wanted to be out there, looking like they were improving even just throughout the second half yesterday. Some of the new guys, and uh, you know, I agree that that Ross probably had his his best game or at least best game this year. Yeah. And uh, we'll have more guys get opportunities, you know, throughout the rest of the season. Well, let's, Justin, let's talk a couple of big picture things, both uh, nationally within the Big Ten and Harbaugh in just a second here. But um, I do want to give a shout out to another one of our great sponsors, Wolverine State Brewing Company, which, uh, like Weber's and like so many restaurants, is, especially when you look outside, I know, I don't know what it's doing where you guys are, but it's snowing where I am. Uh, here in Royal Oak. I assume it's snowing in Novi and snowing in Ann Arbor where you guys are too. And so, you know, they're not going to be able to do outdoor seating this week. The only business that they can do is essentially carry out business. Um, Our our friends at Wolverine State Brewing Company, what they're doing is they're kind of, they're doing a a reduced menu, something that they can make sure that they have everything in stock. So they're not spreading themselves too thin. Uh, with their with their kitchen staff, um, and they're going to offer specials on Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, this past weekend, uh, I believe it was uh, ravioli. 
Uh, and so you can check out their entire menu at wolverinebeer.com uh, and see what they've got going on. I think Nate will post a new menu um, tomorrow, obviously a little bit different with Thanksgiving on Thursday. But uh, if you can support, you know, we're, we're doing this here, you know, not trying to be like, hey, look how awesome we are. But, I mean, we're trying to do this where we're trying to get out there. And yesterday we got a Polish food from a, a diner here in uh, Royal Oak, and we're constantly looking to, um, you know, offer some support to our, our restaurants. We want them. There's so many great restaurants in uh, Washtenaw County in Southeast Michigan. And when this is all said and done, we want them to still be uh, living strong and, and being able to serve us. Uh, hopefully in a way that we can enjoy and appreciate camaraderie with friends and family once again. So uh, check out wolverinebeer.com for the information. So guys, let me ask you this question. Let's look at Big Ten and within the scope of this. Ohio State is Ohio State, um, although Justin Fields looked uh, mortal Human. yesterday. I wasn't gonna say, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say average. He looked mortal yesterday. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., Indiana, looks for real. They lost by seven on the road at Ohio State. Uh, he put up, you know, close to 500 yards, 491 and five touchdowns. Um, you know, so where does Indiana fit into this hierarchy of the Big Ten? Northwestern goes out there, beats Wisconsin 17 to seven. Are they legit? Well, what do you feel about the Big Ten before we get to uh, Jim Harbaugh and his future at Michigan? You know, I was super surprised at the Northwestern-Wisconsin game. Obviously, you know, it was biased because Wisconsin rolled Michigan, so I figured, you know, they must be actually pretty good. Uh, but holy smokes, Northwestern is legit. Pat's, Pat, uh, Pat Fitzgerald has them rolling. Um, one, one thing that I wanted to uh, highlight about the Ohio State-Indiana game is, and this scares me, quite frankly, is that Indiana – played about as good as they could on defense, had three takeaways, made Justin Fields super uncomfortable. He made bad decisions, and they still gave up 600 yards and 42 points. Um, so I, I'm worried about what that means for Michigan's defense, uh, you know, in a few weeks. But I, I think that Indiana is still pretty legit. That I, Tom Allen is a hell of a motivator. Um, they, I think they are, you know, they really are a close second behind uh, Ohio State, um, and I think it's that's it for the Big Ten East. It's Ohio State and Indiana. I don't think I don't know how you could uh, argue any any way else. And then I think it's a two person race in uh, uh, with Northwestern and Wisconsin in the West. God, that's a weird thing to hear. It's like, are we sure <laughs> we're talking about football? Right. Um, but I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I watch a lot of the Ohio State Indiana game thought that Ohio State had a chance to blow it open early and they didn't and that was to Indiana's credit they really Indiana plays the type of defense we've been sitting here asking for our team to play begging for our team to play um, they take the right angles they're physical as hell and they fly to the ball and I think their defense gave up 35 because the pick six was the oh, was yeah. the difference in the game yeah. but like Mike said I mean to give up like if you say you're going to play Clemson or you're going to play Ohio State you're going to give up 35, like, okay, that's, you know, I would say that's probably, that's probably below their scoring average. And then you know what you have to do on offense. So to one end, you're right. It is scary that Indiana played pretty damn well. Um, still couldn't get it done. At, on the other hand, they also came out sort of flat and found themselves in bad field position and down early and they fought their ass back and had a legitimate chance to win the game. So I agree with you right now. It looks like, it looks like Ohio State and Indiana is the class of the Big Ten. I don't really know what to make of the West. I want to see a little bit more uh, football. 
but I will say that um, Northwestern, I spent a little bit of time actually in that program, not officially working, sort of observing and spent about a month with them during the spring um, before I came and worked for Coach Hoke's staff. And I can't tell you how impressive of an outfit that is. Uh, Coach Fitzgerald and um, Cody Shade is the director of football ops over there. And just the, the guys he has in place, the coaches that are in place, the amount of teaching that goes on, the way that the players soak it up, understand work. I mean, it is – they've maximized what they have there. And so I'm happy for them. Um, you know, I hope they do well in the West. But I don't really know what to make of it out there. And I uh, have a bad feeling that conference conference title game will just be a, another Buckeye blowout. But we can hope for uh, other results. Yeah, I don't, I don't anticipate Northwestern being able to go toe-to-toe with um... – with Ohio State. Now, I didn't think Indiana was going to be able to go uh, toe-to-toe with Ohio State yesterday like they did. Um, you know, I, I will say I was just reading an article on The Athletic, and apparently Joey Galloway, former Buckeye, uh, said that uh, Northwestern had a bunch of uh, Reese Davis-like pl- players on their defense and was essentially saying it was very unathletic. Um, <laughs> you, take that, you take that for what it is. I mean, you, it, it pretty much says, like, unathletic white dudes um, <laughs> on, your, on your defense. And you know, this is a pretty good Wisconsin offense, it looked like, and they held them to seven points in that game and had, what, five turnovers or something like that forced. So, you know, I, I don't want to completely underestimate Northwestern against Ohio State, but, yeah, I mean, when we get to the Big Ten Championship in a couple of weeks, if those are the two teams, I think most of us would take uh, Ohio State something like, you know, 42 to 21. Um, so, but it's at least an exciting place for the Wildcats to be. Uh, and there's even some talk about them, you know, being in the college football playoff discussion. We'll see the first uh, rankings come out this Tuesday night, a uh, day before the, the first Michigan basketball game. So certainly some interesting stuff to look forward to. Gentlemen, I want to I want to kind of finish uh, today with with looking at in the scope of things. And so, you know, I, I was, of course, you know, maybe to my better judgment, got into it a little bit with someone on social media this morning about um, <laughs> Harbaugh's future and person saying to me, I don't know how you can watch last night's game, game and not come away with the fact that Harbaugh has got this team trending in the right direction and has reestablished himself. And I was like, ah, man, three overtimes against Rutgers. And we're talking about Jim Harbaugh's got things moving in the right direction again. Like, come on, dude, like, give me a break here. And so I posted this uh, poll question on Twitter. There's been 964 people have voted in it so far. Uh, after last night's triple overtime win, how do you feel about Harbaugh at year's end? Uh, is it 2021 or bust? Essentially, you've got to win or you're done. Uh, 2021 and beyond, extend him, give him an extra, you know, more years to let him kind of do his thing, or part ways with Jim Harbaugh at year's end. Uh, 53% of the uh, almost 1,000 Michigan fans that have voted have saying to part ways. Uh, another 30% say 2021 or bust. Uh, just 17% of the fan base thinks that Jim Harbaugh should be sticking around at Michigan beyond next year. Did this game, I know Will earlier in the year, I think if they lost to Michigan State or if they lost to Indiana, he said, hey, I wasn't ready to go there yet. Um, you mentioned that a lot of your former teammates were ready to go there. Where are you when it comes to Jim Harbaugh's future at Michigan? Justin, where are you? And I'll just say where I am. Nothing I saw last night changed uh, my feeling that uh, that this is just not working. Um, for the Wolverines and that uh, Jim Harbaugh is not the guy to lead Michigan to championships, lead Michigan to the level of success that we're, I don't want to say we're demanding, but we're certainly hoping as Michigan fans. And I guess it just ultimately comes down to, 
you know, what you want out of this program. I saw an article in the athletic this week that said, you know, Michigan's being realistic. Maybe they, what they're looking at is like, Hey, just graduate players, keep them out of trouble. Um, you know, don't embarrass on, us on the field, win 65, 70% of your games, go nine and three. And that's good enough for the administration. I don't know how you guys feel about it. That's just not good enough for me. I wonder how coach Carr feels about that, <laughs> that statement. Um, you know, Mike, I, I would tend to agree. I think that um, I have come to a place where sort of decided it's not, it's not my place to posture about the future of, of especially Michigan coaches um, and especially just, you know, somebody who, who did play here. And I feel like I share that brotherhood with, and I have a ton of respect for, and, and frankly, I know that he loves Michigan. Uh, I'll let the, the powers that be make those difficult decisions. I do think there are, important considerations that I care about that we have to discuss um, from the football bloodline standpoint, recruiting is something where I'm not even saying we've had bad classes. I'm saying you have to, you have to win your state in recruiting. And, and to do that, you have to have the kids want to go to your school. Um, before Ohio state became this true national power, um, before the last five or six years, they would win 10 or 11 games a year by putting a fence around Ohio and trying their best not to let any, any recruits out and then build from there. Um, I worry about in-state recruiting and the brand right now. Um, and then on the, on the a different side of things, uh, I worry about and just the sort of the logistics and the optics of it. I don't know how you can – I'm curious what you guys think how the university could justify paying, you know, a buyout or some large sum of money like that when they're also having to lay off jobs and reduce the workforce due to the pandemic. Um, so there's some of the, the optics here um, and some of the just logistics at play, but it's not good enough right now. Um, I saw somebody make a comment this week about, you know, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame and had a four and eight season and they wanted to fire him and, look where they are now. So, you know, that would be amazing if that kind of turnaround happened. Um, we are a long way from it. And that's kind of where I stand on things. You know, I am still 100% confident that Jim Harbaugh will be here in 2021. Whether I think he should or not is a different, uh, different conversation. But I think to your point, Will, about the financial situation and just the 2020 and pandemic and weird year and all that stuff, he's going to get a pass. And so um, I think he will be the football coach. The, the thing that bothers me is, is, you know, last night, from a talent perspective, from, from, it looked like we were – it looked like Michigan was really on the same playing field as Rutgers. And even though Rutgers is, uh, is up this year, that's still unacceptable as far as Michigan goes. So I think that – I mean – I, I don't know. Maybe you give him the one more year to, to see where what happens with Cade Magnamira, but um, I, I it's it's just so tough because I, I I know you know we've gone on and on and around with the question of who do you get then? Is it you know Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle? Who who is it? But um, I I just I. I I still remain nervous of going through another coaching transition transition and putting Michigan. And I know Mike, you've said there doesn't have to be a three, four year span of, you know, mediocrity before they get back to the top. 
Um, but I, I am, I'm so nervous for, for that to happen again, because I think it happens all too often in, uh, in coaching transitions. And so um, I would say that it happens more often than not in a coaching transition that they have two, three down years before they're back to, to a spot where they um, can compete for a big 10 title. But um, if, I, I think if you, you know, if you look at the next few games and if Michigan, again, if Michigan just gets housed by Ohio State, um, you know, by 50 plus, I don't, I think you have to say this is unacceptable. And, and, you know, he can love the university. I think he does. I believe that will 100%. Um, but it doesn't mean he's the right guy for the job right now. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Justin, I'll, I'll leave you with this is, you're so worried about this rebuild. Um, <laughs> yeah. Will was part of Will was part of a Brady Hoke team that I mean, when you brought him in, people were like, "Oh, it's going to take four or five years." And their first year, they went out, went eleven and two, beat Ohio State, uh, and won the Sugar Bowl. Um, and honestly, in in 2012, went eight and five. It probably should have been ten and three or better, but they lost yeah. so many games at the end. Um, you know, close games at the end. And then Jim Harbaugh comes in and takes Brady Hoke's talent and goes 10 and three in his first year and, you know, should have been, and it was 10 and one going into the Ohio state game his second year. This, this idea that like somehow they got, you know, you're coming in and blowing stuff up. I mean, if, if they were to move on from Harbaugh this year, the guy would come in and next year he would have potentially a really good quarterback in Cade McNamara. He would have uh, five offensive line starters back. He would have uh, six wide receiver starters back and guys that have showed potential. He would have a number one running back in Hassan Haskins. He would have Aiden Hutchinson back. And if he can get more out of his defensive tackles than, than this coaching staff has, uh, he would get um, a linebacker core that right now looks like it would return entirely. And you got to get the most talent out of him. You got to get more out of him. You get your entire secondary back, except for Brad Hawkins, which we all agree is not that big of a loss. So tell me when you look at that and you look at the talent that he's recruited, why it would be a three to four year rebuild? It wouldn't be. You get the right coach and you can win immediately. And then you win your next year. And then you're starting to recruit your guys and you've got to be recruiting your right guys. But man, I just don't buy this idea that like somehow the, the bottom falls out. If you move on from Jim Harbaugh, the bottom falls out. If you move on, move on from Jim Harbaugh, only if you go out there and get a incompetent boo who has no idea what they're doing and can't run this program. And I just, to me, it's like, you know, I'd rather roll the dice and take my chances with someone who uh, can, can win 70% of their games, but give Michigan a better chance to beat Ohio state and compete for a championship than what we've seen Jim Harbaugh be able to do in his first six years. Yeah. You both make really good points. And uh, interestingly enough, our problem, at least, you know, Michigan, the last couple of coaching transitions has not been the first year. Um, we've had trouble maintaining it. And, and we've now had two transitions in a row where I genuinely and like being connected and inside and like genuinely thought we were on our way back to where we were supposed to be. Like after that 2011 season, 11 and two, recruiting at a high level, right? Peppers and Gary were coming shortly after that, you know, starting to, to really stockpile the talent that you need. And then a very unique confluence of factors and the athletic director situation and, and the Shane Morris situation and uh, and things really started to unravel there. And then same thing with, with coach Harbaugh. It, it really looked like we were, you know, on our way and uh, a good buddy of mine who's very plugged in was talking about the turning point in his eyes was the 2016 Ohio state game 
um, when we should have won and they got their fifth down and, and scored. But either way, um, I think you both raised interesting points and just wanted to point out that our problem hasn't been the first year. It's been sort of maintaining momentum and continuing to get better rather than to backslide. Great stuff there, Will. Yep. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> Will, obviously you went through it as a player. I, with, with Craig there, was at most of those games. And right. a lot of them I, I experienced from the stands and, and from the locker rooms after and stuff like that. Wasn't fun all the time. Um, so I think there's a, there's a, there's, I know Mike, you're very confident, but that's just, that is what makes me worry is being there and watching it in real, in real life and going through it. So, um, we'll leave you, we'll leave you guys with that. I know that was like a super downer, uh, note to leave you guys on, uh, after a, a win versus Rutgers, but we do have, we've, we've got something to look forward to now. We've got something to build on. I, I saw the video of Cade McNamara in the locker room after the game and he said let's build on this let's build on this he said what happens if we win out so these guys are back it seems like they're bought in again where a week ago it, se it seemed like everybody was out so um, it's crazy what a week does and I know it's Rutgers but it's something to build on so um, we'll have more uh, we will have more insight throughout this week and a couple more podcasts looking at Penn State who is now 0-5 um, and uh, we'll hopefully have uh, some more positive things to, to talk about for this uh, Michigan team going forward. You can follow us at Stadium Main Pod on Twitter. I am at Justin Rowe 92 on Twitter, and Mike is at Michael Spath ITH. Will, do you want to plug your thing one more time? Absolutely. Love to just quickly plug the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine podcast, a mental health podcast we do. and. This past episode was in honor of Veterans Day and interviewed a former veteran um, about some of the issues relating to military and mental health. So you can find that on any of the, the normal podcast spots and uh, appreciate you guys listening today and just go blue as always. Yep. Thank you all for listening and we will see you later on this week. All right. Take care. Thanks, Paul. This is the Stadium and Main podcast. Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers.